meeting today's challenges with yesterday's experiences. Senior wisdom is your opportunity to take in wisdom gained by our elderly population and apply this insight to your own life. It's a time machine of sorts, sending you back to challenges of pre-millennia days and places that stretch across the globe. Four years into retirement, Dee Samuels is still passionate with life. Today, she competes in road bike races in California and as far away as Utah. Dee has always had a drive to engage new opportunities and was willing to face the unknown. At 18, she was finishing at a two-year college when her dance instructor asked her to audition as a dancer in a European tour. One thing led to another, she got the job. She met a guy, and a short time after returning from Europe, she left her New Jersey home for life in California. Later in life, she decided to become a lawyer in a town that had minimal opportunities of this sort. She found a way to move to San Francisco and successfully found a law school, obtained her degree, and passed the bar. Before she even made her resume, she met a very prominent family practice attorney, and within 30 minutes of conversation, she was offered a job. Yes, indeed. She accepted the job with no hesitation. Dee feels it's necessary to take risks in life. It's important to feel good about yourself, whether you find success or find that it doesn't work out. It doesn't diminish who you are. Explore where your successes lie and how it satisfies you. D wholeheartedly believes that you never give up. These traits will also serve each of us when the unexpected and uncontrollable circumstances occur in our futures. Senior Wisdom is ready to share another golden nugget. So adjust the volume on your laptop or handheld device and soak into a conversation with Dee Samuels. Dee, you were really active, <laughs> although you're retired. Um, I'm sitting in front of somebody here who's, who's been retired for a little while, right? Yeah, I've been retired for about four or five years now. Wow, and you are quite an athlete, which I'm hearing about. Well, I, my sport now is cycling. And that's my main concentration. Has that taken you around the country? Around the country. Right now, only as far as Utah, I'm hoping that I'll do more senior games events this year in different states. Utah is the Huntsman, it's called the Huntsman World Senior Games. And that's been my main competition the last two years. Well, that sounds very exciting. I'm sitting here with Dee Samuels. We are located on off of Cooper Road, a little... Oh, a beautiful area that has pine trees and that are 150 feet tall. I'm looking out the back window here, the grassy area, and what do we have out there? I think there's a garden out there in a sitting area. It looks, it's a wonderful place to be, certainly in retirement, or even if you're not retired, I think it'll be great to be here. You haven't always lived here. You, right. You actually grew up somewhere else. I grew up in the East, but I've been in California since... 1960, so I feel very much like a Californian. So how did this whole thing progress? When you were back east, where were you exactly? Um, actually, I lived in about four different states. My parents moved every couple of years because my dad was in sales. And the place I lived longest and that I graduated high school was Wilmington, Delaware. Okay, I remember Wilmington. Not far from there is Dover, Delaware? Dover, Delaware. Right. 
and um, Philadelphia is very close mm-hmm. to Wilmington. Yeah, some of our summer swimming uh, ocean visits would be over there. Yeah. <laughs> from Pittsburgh. We drive from Pittsburgh, PA. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I grew up in Pittsburgh. You were going to share a last-minute situation happened when you were 18 years old. It did. And what happened was I was finishing at a two-year college, and the, I was very involved in dance at the time. And my dance instructor had been invited to go to Europe as a dancer with a group called the All-American Chorus and Ballet. She couldn't go. So she offered me the opportunity to audition for the spot that she would have taken. And I said, why not? And as it turned out, that's what led me to California because I met a young man who was a singer in the group on the trip. At the end of the trip, um, he needed a ride from where our ship docked in Montreal to get his motorcycle, which I think was in New York. And I, I, my parents were picking him up, so I offered him a ride. And it turned out we liked each other a lot. And he said to me, why don't you come to California and finish your college career there? This was probably late July. And again, I said, hey, that sounds like a great idea. So I applied to the college that his brother was attending, which was Whittier College. I got accepted in September. I started Whittier College and ultimately married this young man. And that's how I got to California. Well, I mean, you're quite an adventurer then to go on a, on a whim, or more than a whim, but, but I mean, that happened very quickly, a it, month or so. That's it, about it, it happened right? very quickly, yes. I take it this uh, adventuresome spirit has become a theme <laughs> it, <laughs> maybe it in your life. It seems to. It, it worked out great that I married this young man, and I, I have actually been divorced twice, and some people say, oh, I remember one, one of my college, my law school professor saying, oh, yeah, I'm a three-time loser, too. And I said, I don't look at it as being a loser. I got something really wonderful from each of my first two husbands. And, of course, being married to Joel is wonderful, and that's my the love of my life. But the things I got from my first two husbands really, really shaped my life. What are the kinds of things that shape our lives in, in being married? Are, are there a couple of things that come to the top? Well, to me, my career very much shaped my life. I'm a retired lawyer. For some people, perhaps their career is not their identity. I very much identified with being a lawyer. For me, it was a passion, not just a job. And the way that happened was my first husband, Ray, was in law school when we married. He was in law school at UCLA, and I was in graduate school at UCLA in psychology. I was fascinated by what he was studying, and after he graduated, we moved to Bakersfield where he had family and he wanted to open his law practice. And it it was decided that I would work with him for a while. And there was no, by that time I had decided I probably wanted to go to law school, but there was no place I could go in Bakersfield. So we moved to Bakersfield. I worked for him for about eight or nine years, and and I just loved the law. I was really fascinated by it. What did you do? I mean, you were not an attorney at that time, but you still worked in the firm. I did, but I I sort of did everything. I, I was legal secretary, paralegal 
talked to clients, kept the books, and learned a lot about, about what he was doing. What came out of that is you ended up in, what, San Francisco, and that's where you ended up finding a college or university? I did. I, I, we got divorced. I moved to San Francisco. I had one little sidestep on the way. When it, it can be hard on a marriage to spend so much time together, working together. So after about eight or nine years, I decided I would go back to school at uh, Cal State Bakersfield and get a teaching credential, which I did. And I taught school for a year there. I did not like that particularly. So when we got divorced, I moved to San Francisco because I knew I could go to law school in San Francisco. And I went to University of San Francisco Law School. Hmm. And then you, you came out of law school. Did you find a, a job relatively quickly? Again, I was really super lucky. Um, there are all kinds of stories about law students all the time having to um, send their resumes to many, many firms and have many, many interviews. So I had clerked for a family law judge during my last year of law school. And I asked this judge, in front of whom many family law attorneys had appeared, I said, who would be best to talk to if I really wanted to find out what it's like to practice family law. I didn't even know if I wanted to, I just wanted to find out. So he gave me the names of three people he thought were the best family law attorneys in San Francisco, probably in the whole Bay Area. And I went and talked to each of them, two women, and the first woman told me that she thought it was impossible to be married and have a family and be a family lawyer because it was just too time consuming. And she was very gracious, um, but didn't say anything about my coming to work. And I didn't even, I hadn't even made a resume at that point in time. It was after I'd taken the bar, but I hadn't got the results yet. The second woman I talked to was very um, encouraging, and, but it was just a get acquainted interview and here's what family law is like. But the third person I talked to a man was on a Friday afternoon. It was late in the day, like four o'clock. And we talked for a while and probably after about half an hour, he said to me, how would you like to come to work for me? And I was floored because I knew this was a very prominent family law attorney in San Francisco. Do you remember that conversation <clears throat> as being one where you were really feeling passionate with the stuff he was telling you? I was, and I was feeling he, he turned out to be a person who was very passionate about practicing family law, and that came across to me. And so, and I knew his reputation. I don't remember whether I'd seen him in court, but I knew his reputation. And so it was, it was very exciting to get to talk to this person. And when he said that to me, I, I was floored. And so I pretended not to be floored, and said something like, well, that sounds interesting. And so he said to me, how much would you want to come to work for me? And again, I was flabbergasted. So I picked a number oh, <laughs> that was as, as big as I thought I could say without him saying, well, no, that's impossible. Mm -hmm. And his response to me was, fine, that will work out. Would you like to come to work for me on Monday? This was Friday. Oh, another quick event. <laughs> I was just stunned. So I, I said, yes, that would work out fine. And, and we shook hands and 
said we'd see each other on Monday, and I rushed down to the street and found the first payphone I could find. It was back in the days where you used payphones. We still had them. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I called my husband and said, guess what? You'll never believe it. I've got a job. And that's oh, how boy. I started the family law. You didn't even put a resume together for this. No, I had not. That's pretty amazing. Not. Oh, well, it was another example of a last minute, uh, a very quick decision on your part. You're good on your feet. <laughs> it, it was being able to see, at least I thought it was going to be a good decision. And it turned out to be an incredible decision because this man, Larry Stotter, had a national reputation, was um, very involved in the American Bar Association. So he turned out to be an incredible mentor for me in having me move into circles that I probably wouldn't have been able to do had I just started off on my own or mm -hmm. with someone of a lesser reputation. You knew what you wanted, it sounds like. You were very deliberate in trying to find a few people just to hook with because they may not be the people, but they know who those people are that you should get in contact with. I mean, that was smart to do it that way. And you were ready to jump on it if, if the opportunity occurred. It, it seemed like, and I mean, I... It, I had at least developed the plan that this was an area of law that I thought was really interesting because I am, um, I joke sometimes that I'm really a voyeur. And in family law, when you do divorces, you really get to see sort of the inside of people's lives and how it's worked or not worked. And I find that fascinating. So, well, you merged both your, uh, your psychology passions with uh, a law practice. I did. I did. And I remember writing that on my law school application that I saw that hopefully there would be a rapprochement between my interest in psychology and law. Yeah, you did it. I did. <laughs> now, eventually you, you were Christian originally, right? And, and you became Jewish. Now, how did that come about? That was the gift of my second husband whom I met in law school and married the day after graduation. And while we were dating in law school, he kept saying to me, I have something really important to tell you. And, and I'd say, what is it? And he'd say, I'll tell you, I'll tell you in due time. And finally, I got frustrated. And I said, tell me, I, what is it? Because I was now having fantasies like there was some criminal background or something weird in his background or in his family. And he said to me, the mother of my children has to be Jewish. And, and it was such a relief because for me, that didn't seem like a terrible, scary thing. And I said, oh, is that all? I can do that. And so I then, we had probably been to synagogue a few times together already. And so we went to the, see the rabbi and explained that I had decided I would like to become Jewish. And I wanted to do it well before we got married. And so I started on the process and told the rabbi, I would like to do it a year before Michael and I married. And that's how it worked out. And it was an absolutely wonderful experience. I, again, had a very special person. There was a well-known rabbi in San Francisco the rabbi of Beth Sholem, whose name was Saul White. And he was one of the deans of rabbis in San Francisco. And he took this wonderful personal interest in me and guided me through the steps to convert. And it was pretty special. I would imagine that's pretty trans life transforming too. The practices of a Jewish 
in the Jewish faith are uh, can be extensive. <laughs> they are, and I'm not. You know, some people say, "Oh, converts are are the most intense about the religion," and I'm I can be pretty intense about it. But it fits for me. It's both culturally and philosophically in the way I like to live my life. And that's what I like about Judaism. I think it's about how you live your life. And you still carry those philosophies in your life, Absolute, even today. Absolutely. And I, I, got, <laughs> I got very involved in our synagogue in Marin. Um, after I got divorced from Michael, Joel and I got together. And Joel is Jewish. And his first wife was not Jewish, so his children are not Jewish. But my child is Jewish because a child of a Jewish mother is Jewish. So, so I was very involved in the synagogue in, in Marin, particularly the time from when my son was little until he was bar mitzvahed. And then I got bat mitzvahed with a group of women, which is a, a process I loved, in 1999. And uh, it, it was just a really wonderful, special experience. And I still go to synagogue up here. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. The wisdom that you took from these, these experiences uh, sounds like opportunity may be a part of it, uh, how one would take on opportunity if it's a show. It, it is. And I think the thing that I've always done when I've had an opportunity is to work really hard in whatever it is that I've decided that I'm going to take on, to, to live it as, as fully as I can. And that's what makes me happy. You know, now, some people would, given a, a wonderful opportunity put right in front of them, they may hesitate because sometimes we just have that, oh, I don't know, maybe I'm missing something here. How did you get past that? People, I'm sure, want to know that. I think, it, and I'm not sure where it came from, Steve, I think it's part of my personality to, to like to take opportunities. And it doesn't 100% work out. And I, I can't think of an example right now where I've taken on something that it hasn't worked out so well, but, but I'm sure there are places. I mean, you know, sometimes people think that, that you have to win or be successful in every single thing you do, but there's always the example of the invention of the light bulb that there were like 400 failures before that one that was successful. And so... I think to find things that are good in your life and to do well, you have to be willing to take risks. And for me, some kinds of risks I won't take and some kinds I will. And that's, I think you have to know yourself to know which risks are comfortable and which risks are not. Okay, let's take this into uh, today's world. It's it's highly complex, much more so than... Uh, than 10, 20, 30 years ago. So True. how would one successfully take on a new opportunity? Maybe maybe it doesn't go well, but you always, as you said, walk away with something of value from it. But how do you go about doing that? What, what's the attitude uh, that one would carry with them to allow them to both identify and move forward in accepting an, a new opportunity? I think that the important thing is not to be afraid of, of, of looking like a beginner or even maybe even looking foolish when you take on something brand new because you can't start everything 
at the top and and so you have to feel secure enough in yourself to say I'm an okay person even if this doesn't work out that I rise to the top or then I'm 100% happy with what it does. Failure or not perfect success in a venture doesn't, doesn't diminish you as a person. You have to be willing to take those risks to find out where you can be successful and what makes you feel satisfied. I suppose it's what we each use as the measure of success. It may not be the actual activity, but maybe the uh, qualities of the activity or the passions behind being involved in the activity. Actually, yes, and I do have an example of that. Um, I started being interested in running in my 20s, which, you know, nowadays young women start running in junior high school probably, and, and so they have training, and I had no training or coaching. It just turned out I was kind of good at running, and I was really, really loving it. I loved it. I've always loved sports, and so somehow, and I can't remember how I got into it, I got to compete in a couple mile races. I was, I was particularly in love with doing the mile, and I got to go to Santa Barbara and compete in a, um, a sanctioned event in which at the time Francie LaRue was running, and she was one of the top female runners in the 60s. This was still in the 60s. And, um, and so I was in this race with all these women who were... High level. High level. And, um, and I, I, did, I did the best I could. And my, what I was thinking is, I just don't want to get lapped by anybody in this race. And I came in last, but I felt totally successful, A, that I did the race, and B, I'd gotten the best time I'd ever gotten, and C, I didn't get lapped by anybody. <laughs> yeah. So, so there I didn't, I didn't get any prizes, but it, to me it was a success, and I felt wonderful about it. Well, that's great. Makes me want to go out there and take on some new opportunity <laughs> too. <laughs> we'll see what what happens here. Well, Dee, thanks, thanks for sharing this. I'm sure a lot of people need that little jolt of. Uh, encouragement to just get out there and do it. When the opportunity shows itself, let's get on with it and get it done and try as hard as you can. We never give up. Keep that's, on going. That's my motto. Never give up. Keep going. Well, thanks a lot.